Welcome to the CKNW Weekend Morning Show podcast. I'm Sterling Fox, and today, DisinfoWatch founder Marcus Kolga says we need to root out foreign agents here to do us harm. Deloitte partner Erica Pretorius has all the winners in Canada's tech sector awards. Surrey councillor Linda Annis urges all parties in the policing dispute to look at the facts. And sports psychologist Dr. Saul Miller has great advice on winning at golf and in life. So, let's get started. Canadian officials uh, recently confirmed that China is infiltrating and corrupting Canada's democratic institutions. This needs to be fixed. And that begins with establishing a registry of foreign agents. This is one suggestion that our next guest has made on this program and elsewhere for a considerable amount of time. Suddenly, time and the real world is catching up to Marcus Kolga and his suggestions. Always a pleasure to say good morning and welcome back to uh, Mr. Disinformation. For watch himself, Marcus Kolga, joining us from Toronto. Marcus, good morning. Good to have you back. Good morning, Sterling. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's always a pleasure, sir. And we learned uh, with a, a direct face-to-face, well, actually, she didn't look Trudeau in the eye. He looked past him, but dressed him down for leaking uh, the content of a brief discussion they had to the media. Uh, and uh, this all took place with the cameras rolling uh, a few days ago. Suddenly, the real world caught up to Justin Trudeau while all of the world was watching. It was an interesting, awkward moment, wasn't it? Well, it certainly was a bit of an awkward moment, and it demonstrates how the Chinese government, the the regime in Beijing, has over the past number of years undertaken efforts to undermine our democracy, to intimidate, you know, even at the grassroots level, uh, Chinese Canadians trying to silence them, trying to uh, using intimidation uh, to, to keep them quiet. And all of this has gone up through our entire democracy. You know, we've seen uh, in, in the past, in the last 2021 uh, federal election, how uh, Chinese state media uh, tried to interfere uh, in the electoral process, how a grassroots campaign was used there to try and uh, change the outcome in various different um, ridings across Canada. And then we're seeing now that uh, President Xi is trying to use the same sort of intimidation um, to bully our prime minister into silence as well, to, uh, you know, try and silence him and, and um, you know, uh, push aside his, his criticism. So this is it's not surprising, but um, I think it's a really important wake-up moment for this government and certainly the prime minister to finally acknowledge um, these sorts of efforts by the Chinese government. And China's not alone. Let's not forget that Iran and, and certainly Russia sure. engage in very similar uh, tactics, but it's a wake-up moment, and uh, in, now is the time finally to take action and to put a stop to this sort of intimidation and efforts by China to undermine our democracy. Yeah, you're quite right, Marcus. There are other bad actors that are are at play here, too. But the uh, Iranian and Russian diaspora in Canada is nowhere near the size of the Chinese diaspora. And there's the advantage, if you will, for Beijing in terms of ability to reach into our population meaningfully. So remind us, please, Mr. Kolga, what the registry of foreign agents might do to at least begin the process of identifying the these people who are in our midst trying to corrupt our democracy? Well, thank you for that question, Sterling. And as you mentioned in your intro, this is something that I have been calling for 
for quite some time, along with other uh, human rights and pro-democracy activists uh, here in Canada and elsewhere. Um, Look, other countries, uh, the United States, uh, Australia, have both adopted uh, foreign influence and foreign agent registries. Um, this is a, it's a very simple sort of concept. It requires uh, anyone who is benefiting from advocacy for these sorts of these authoritarian regimes, be it China, be it Iran, Russia, anyone benefiting from the advocacy for those nations, this, this law would require them to register with the federal government, much like lobbyists do. Um, when, when lobbyists for uh, industry go to Ottawa, they need to register to let uh, the federal government know that they are going to Ottawa. They're going to be talking to members of parliament, their staff, and and other officials, mm. so that there's a, a a degree of transparency in our democracy. And this is really uh, essential because uh, uh, transparency inspires trust in our government, and democracy democracy requires us to trust our government. So having a foreign agents registry is much like a lobbyist registry. You just have to give your name if you're going if you're acting on behalf of say the Chinese government or Huawei. Um, you need to then register with this. This put, put your name into this registry to let them know that you're you're when you're in Ottawa when you're meeting or when that person is meeting with uh, officials that they are acting on behalf of that foreign government. And let's not forget that there are a lot of former uh, uh, Canadian elected officials, a lot of former diplomats, and even academics um, who engage in this sort of activity. They mm-hmm. they get some extra money on the side. Um, but they don't necessarily, and they usually don't disclose uh, their affiliation with these authoritarian regimes. We need to do this immediately to start cleaning up our democracy and rebuilding the trust in it uh, and making sure that these sorts of individuals, these actors, these proxies, and what I call enablers, are not allowed to exploit our democracy for their own benefit and those that are the authoritarians are working for. Yeah, Marcus, perhaps I sound a little naive with this, but how, uh, how can we be confident to any degree that a bad actor, a spy, an agent of a foreign government in our midst here to do harm is going to sign up with the registry? I'm here to do harm. I'm over here. <laughs> I mean, isn't that naive of us to assume that they're going to sign in? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a really good point. If you've got someone who's, again, a former uh, official who's taking some money on the side through, you know, cryptocurrency or something like that and acting on behalf of the Chinese government, yeah, I mean, they're going to try and, um, you know, hide that. Again, they're, the, the work that they're doing in their affiliation. But I think that that's sort of the foreign registry, if we're going to enact this, you know, there have to be extremely stiff penalties. Um, for not registering, right, right, gotcha. and there needs to be enforcement of it. And so, um, you know, I think there's, there's the deterrence effect here. Are we going to catch every single one of these uh, morally corrupt uh, Canadian uh, former officials and, and uh, former diplomats and academics that uh, want to do this? No. But at least if the deterrence is there, um, it'll make those individuals, uh, you know, think twice uh, before acting and, and hopefully opt for the um, to be for the for, to be law abiding and, and register themselves with this register. Yeah, Marcus, I wonder, uh, given the prime minister's awkward moment with the president of China, where he was basically pinned to the wall uh, yeah. and, and and dressed down, uh, all, all of a sudden, all well, I'm going to say all of Canada, most of Canada, who's been paying any attention to this, a lot of people are going. Well, it's about time because up until that confrontation moment, fortunately caught on film, Mr. Trudeau hasn't said word 
one about any of this, about foreign agents operating in our midst, in plain sight. And now we hear about these 11 quote-unquote, police stations being operated in Canada uh, by yeah. the Chinese government out of Beijing. Uh, I mean, yeah. he hasn't said one blinking word about this, Marcus. Now he has to. It's Time Time is caught up with him, don't you think? Well, you yeah, know, time has caught up with him. You're, you're right. And the, and the government. I mean, look, I think that um, they, were, they were trying to, whenever these sorts of issues came up, when people like myself were writing about them, they just sort of picked up the corner of the, of the national rug, tried to sweep it underneath there and pretend it's not there. Right. right? Um, they didn't want to offend the Chinese. And they don't. And it's the same as happening with, uh, with Russia. They, you know, before, before the war, they didn't want to offend Russia. They didn't want to, you know, um, they, they believe that um, taking these sorts of, you know, uh, enacting a foreign agents registry or foreign influence registry would offend them. Um, and I think that those proxies, those enablers that were working with the Chinese government, continue to work with the Chinese government and, and Russia, um, tried to push that line as well, saying, look, we, we want to have a dialogue. And if we ha- want to have a dialogue, we can't hold these people to account. We need to allow them to act with impunity. And I think that the, uh, the government uh, and, and the PMO were to a certain degree influenced by this. But um, clearly, I think that, that the, the prime minister now has acknowledged. I mean, the, the, some of the terminology he's used to describe this uh, Chinese uh, influence is, is a bit awkward. You know, the, the, calling it um, an, an aggressive game. Well, but this isn't a game. No. This is an attack. This is an attack on our democracy. Um, and it's, the, the problem is that if we let it go um, unaddressed, it breaks down Canadians' trust in that democracy. And once that happens, we see the fabric of the, the, the sort of the, cohesion, the cohesive fabric in our society. It starts tearing, tearing apart. Yeah. And, um, and so this is not a game. It is a, an attack on us, our society, on our way of life, on our, on our democracy. And um, and hopefully now uh, the the prime minister will 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 see the the threat that this really is and recognize it and will give the uh, our law our law enforcement agencies the resources they need to go after uh, those that are attacking our our democracy and that uh, there's funding to uh, to challenge this to stand up against it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, turn back the clocks on the on the damage that's already been done. Yeah, Marcus, uh, final question to you. Always a pleasure to have you aboard, sir. Uh, final question, though, in terms of trust and uh, that sort of thing, how much pressure has been brought to bear on the government of Canada by our international partners, particularly the Americans, the Australians, to uh, develop a spine, get on side, and, and smarten up on China? I understand there to be a fair <laughs> bit of pressure, and some of this is starting to seep in. Well, look, Sterling, you and I have talked about this for years already. Um, you know, the, um, with regards to AUKUS, the, uh, you know, Five Eyes, uh, there has been a lot of pressure. I think that uh, Canada has been seen as an outlier when it comes to uh, addressing these issues. Australia is light years ahead of us. Yep. They, they understood the, the threat years ago already. The U.S. has always understood the threat, to be quite frank, and and has uh, significant measures in place. And and you're right. I think that the our allies and uh, now our you know our European allies with regards to Russia as well um, are are sort of wondering you know where are you why where's Canada at why is it allowing why is it exposing itself to these risks um, and we can only hope that the government now recognizes that. I hope that the Australian government the United, and all of our allies uh, and all the governments of all of our allies are are going to be asking Canada those same questions and putting pressure on us to uh, to clean up our act. Um, you know, and hopefully now, like you said, this, this, uh, this interaction with uh, Xi uh, and the Prime Minister, hopefully that 
um, is this that will signal the start or at least um, motivate the prime minister to start acting now. It was a seminal moment. It felt like it. Don't know what it's going to lead to, Marcus, but it definitely felt like a turning point. Uh, Marcus Colga, friends, senior fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute Center for Advancing Canada's Interests Abroad and the founder of disinfowatch.org, a terrific website, which I highly commend to your viewing. Marcus, always a pleasure. Thanks again for doing this. Look forward to our next opportunity already. Thanks for having me on, Sterling, and have a great weekend. So this week, the folks at Deloitte announced the list of the Technology Fast 50, the Enterprise Fast 15, the Clean Technology, and Companies to Watch award winners. A total of 95 Canadian tech companies have been recognized for their industry-leading growth and innovation. And this is a milestone year as the program celebrates 25 years of recognizing Canadian innovation leaders. Here to talk more about it from Deloitte here in Vancouver is Erica Pretorius. Erica is a partner in risk advisory with the Telecommunications Media and Technology Group at Deloitte. Erica joins us from the North Shore. Good morning and welcome, Erica. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Sterling. Well, it's lovely to have you with us. Tell us about, this is going to be going on for a while now. Tell us about these awards in the various categories, uh, This uh, the process by which companies become eligible and ultimately win. Yeah, no, we, our program's been running for 25 years. Um, and like you said, this is an absolute milestone year for us. Over that time, we've recognized over 1,700 companies in Canada. Um, we've got four different categories. And I think what sets our program apart is the fact that we um, uh, do the allocation based on objective financial data. Um, it's not just, a, oh, we think these are great companies. We actually look at their financials and make sure we can calculate the appropriate growth percentage for growth over the last five, uh, four years. Um, we also interview all of the companies, which is my favorite part of the year, where we actually get to meet um, young and upcoming startups. We get to meet um, enterprise-level companies. And um, more recently, we get to meet cleantech organizations as well and, and discuss with their leadership where the company is going, what's making them innovative, and where they're where they really investing in building their own technology. Well, it's really interesting because, of course, the timing is, is quite fascinating this year, Erica, because mm-hmm. here's Musk laying off thousands, uh, some of the other major platforms, lots and lots of staff uh, disruption, etc., etc. And here in Canada, these tough little tech companies just keep coming out of the the woodwork and and just blowing people away tell us a little bit about noble they won in the technology fast 50 category why yeah so so noble plays in the real estate space and they've actually applied a, a couple of years and this is really the year where they hit it out of the park uh, with 73 sorry yeah almost 73 thousand percent growth over the last four years, wow. which is absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. And I just, while we're talking about them, I just want to highlight um, kind of certain as well, which certain is the number two company, and they're based in Victoria. And I think something that's really cool for me, uh, being in BC and a BC uh, tech, tech leader for Deloitte, is the fact that in all four lists, there's BC companies in the top three, which mm-hmm. I think just spells an amazing um, uh, story for our, our technology ecosystem here. Now, let's uh, let's skip down the list to companies to watch, because uh, not only are they top three in this category, the number one tech company to watch in Canada is Thrive Health from right here in Vancouver, with a growth over the past few years of over 4,000 percent. Yeah, they'd, they'd be a company to watch, all right, wouldn't they? <laughs> Absolutely, and I think Thrive Health 
along with a few other health tech companies on the list, really represent that that category that we've seen during COVID, where health is the, the focus on technology and health and how it automates and um, enables us to, to uh, obtain health services without actually physically being in a doctor's office. They are really one of the leaders in that category. And, and along with other companies on our list, like Jane Software, who's, who's number 46 on our Fast 50 list. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, again, some of the other categories, there are still two left, and I'd like you to recognize those as well. The Enterprise Fast 15, as opposed to the Fast 50 tech, this is the Enterprise Fast 15. What's the difference between the two? Yeah, the the Enterprise Fast 15 list we put in place a few years ago when we realized that some of the larger tech eco- tech companies that are really forming the the cornerstone of our tech ecosystem across the country, um, they are growing off a significant base. Like if you're growing off a, a base of fifty million dollars, your growth percentage may be slightly lower, but what you've achieved is so much so impressive so we put this list in place um and it really for a, for a company to class to uh, um, qualify for an enterprise list they have to have had 50 million dollars in revenue in 2021 oh, okay. um, so that's really the, the that list is one of my one of my most uh, one of the lists i'm the most proud of because it really shows how these organizations have become um, so embedded in the Canadian uh, economy. And the company that topped that enterprise Fast 15 list was something, an outfit called Hopper. Uh, it sounds like a kind of a kayak-type <clears throat> operation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 not quite. And I think, the, the again, the one that, that stands out to me from a BC point of view is, the, is Trulio, which is our number three list. And they do identity verification. Ah, okay. And now the other category we wanted to pay attention to, because there are four, and I think from a point of view of Deloitte, you treat them equally. And clean technology is certainly a priority for a lot of a lot of companies th- these days, uh, and into, into the point where some of them are, in fact, changing the ways they do business. Tell us about Flash Food and the Clean Technology Award. Yeah, I think the Clean Technology Award, again, this is a category we put in place uh, two years ago because we really saw that it it was the right time to start recognizing these organizations. They are at the point where, they, like, where they've done a lot of uh, research and development, a lot of R&D, and with what's happening in the broader ecosystem where organizations really want to reduce their, their environmental footprint, they want to reduce their carbon emissions. Organizations are looking to, to uh, technology to help them do that. And I think I'm super excited because I had to place a bet on, on one of the lists for the future. I'm really excited about where clean tech can go as hopefully Canadian companies and, and governments are buying Canadian clean tech, techno- clean tech technology. And in fact, we're turning out to be uh, world leaders in some of those uh, files, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, the, again, the BC companies are the ones I know the best. Uh, companies like MindSense, where they're really focusing on the mining industry and making the extraction of, of minerals more effect, effective and efficient mm-hmm. uh, through some of their technology. Uh, we've got um, uh, 
good natured products as well, which is focusing on food packaging and making that more sustainable. And then the, the number 15 on the list there is the BQE water, which again is focusing on the mining industry. And I think these are interesting because it shows really from a BC point of view, we have a long history in mining mm-hmm. and that is now spinning into mining clean tech technology. So we're using what we know and making um, making a kind of clean tech technology. And, we, and you're right to point out that we do have quite a colorful history with mining in this province. And by the sounds of things, Erica, where our mining industry is going to flourish in the years to come because of the, the electrification of the world and the components, lithium, etc., required to do that are mined. Many of those components are mined right here in British Columbia. So it looks pretty good down the road, doesn't it? Yeah, and I and I think that this is again this is a good example where technology is really enabling the innovation in all other industries. Um so we see that with mining, we see it with health, um we see it especially on the the, the dig- digital side where um uh Identity verification is, is really becoming a big thing. So we've got a couple of companies on the list that I've mentioned. So Certain, Trulio, GeoComply, they're all focusing on making sure either people are who they say they are or the people are where they, where they say they are. And that's really enabling a lot of our other industries like financial services, um, even real estate. And, and health and a bunch of others. Interesting. So now this is the first time you mentioned earlier, it's the 25th year for these awards to be presented by Deloitte. But it's been a while since you got together and have a bit of a presentation bash. And there's one coming up finally in a few days in Toronto. Are you headed back for that one? Are you going to the party? I am absolutely going to, buy, to the party. I'm so here for that. Um, now we're bringing all the winners and, and companies together to uh, an amazing venue in Toronto, and we'll really spend that time to celebrate what these companies have achieved. They'll be they'll be getting their awards. There'll be great music, great food, and just a great time to network, which is I think what tech companies do the best. Sure. It's all all about building that ecosystem and those connections across the country. Well, enjoy your time in Toronto at the Big Bash with all of the BC delegation. You'll be flying back with Erica. Thanks ever so much for doing this this morning, and friends, if you want to fly, learn more about these awards, uh, check out Fast 50, the number 50, fast50.ca. Erica Pretorius from Deloitte, thanks for getting up early on a Saturday. It was a terrific chat. We'll do it again. Thanks so much. Bye. We're joined on the line from Surrey City Council by Councillor Linda Annis to talk about the policing situation in her city. Councillor Annis, good morning, Linda. Good morning. Good to have you with us. Uh, they had a vote on Monday at uh, Surrey City Council, voting 5-4 to four to create a plan to detransition the Surrey Police Service and maintain the RCMP as the official police unit. The chief of the Surrey Police Service, Norm Lipinski, says, not surprised by this, but we report to the police board, not to City Council. On City Council, there you were for the vote, Councillor. Uh, what was your vote and why? Well, I actually put through a motion that we do a referendum. The one thing that's missing in this whole process are the facts. Uh, We have no idea how much we have spent so far, where we are in the process, or what it would cost to actually uh, transition back to the RCMP. So what I was proposing at Council is let's get the facts on the table before we make any decision, and let's let the residents make the decision. After all, it's their tax dollars that we're spending as councillors. Now, the, uh, the, of course, it, it, it could be said that the, the uh, voters of Surrey 
an election ago, voted for Doug McCallum, and one of his platform planks was we're going to toss the Mounties and create our own Surrey Police Service. So that would represent an endorsement of the idea. Those who are in favor of retaining the Surrey Police Service would say, you've already had your vote. So uh, how do you counter that? Well, I think uh, Mayor Locke says the same thing. So here we go again. Doug McCallum uh, got in, uh, but I'd like to point out that the Surrey First vote was split. Had it not been split, uh, he certainly would not have gotten in. He, uh, Between the two uh, Surrey First candidates, uh, there was about 15,000 votes more than what Doug McCallum got. This last go-around, uh, Mayor Locke just squeaked in with 900 votes. Uh, that certainly is not a mandate. Mm-hmm. And she got, uh, you know... Um, only 28% of the vote, so 72% of the people that weren't voting for any uh, uh, transition back to the RCMP. And I think people need to know the facts before we make any decision about what's going to happen with the police. We can't keep flip-flopping back and forth every four years. Well, no kidding. And and I mean, the, the, it, it, and I mentioned earlier, just a colossal waste of energy, Linda. I mean, there's so much attention being devoted to this distraction that really, I mean, of course, you can walk and chew gum at the same time. I get that. But it's a, it's a huge annoyance. We had Dr. Rob Gordon from Simon Fraser, who's a criminologist, uh, a couple of weeks ago on the show talking about this and he said look this is going to come down to the the province because this is there's a power struggle going on uh the minister of public safety mike farnworth is going to have to come in here and intervene to one direction or the other do you think it's going to come to that uh short of a referendum well somebody's got to make a decision and we've got to stay the course you know it's been a huge distraction in surrey not just uh during Doug McCallum's term, but here we go again yeah. to uh, Mayor Locke's term. And we should be focused on building rec centers, on building the infrastructure that we need for our city. Since I've been elected, we've had almost 50,000 people move to Surrey mm-hmm. and very little attention paid to uh, infrastructure. Everything seems to be focused on the police transition. So uh, what sort of appetite, Councillor, do you detect among the voters of Surrey for a referendum? Well, when I was out campaigning uh, just a couple of months ago now, uh, I was hearing loud and clear from the residents of Surrey that um, what's going on, what are the facts, and do we get a say in it? Because there's been no public engagement or transparency through this whole process. And, you know, and I'm starting to see stories. We had one on, on Global News the other night uh, about uh, officers, the recruiting process. There's hundreds of people now wearing the dark blue Surrey Police Service uniform, and some of those people have come from points afar. Uh, the story of a, 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 an officer, a sergeant uh, in from Toronto, moved his family, lock, stock, and barrel out to the West Coast. I got a new career thing here. Away we go. So uh, if, he says, and he says, if the Surrey Police Service is disbanded, he's not going to join the Mounties, and his career could very well be terminated based on just the logistics of it all. And he's not alone. Hundreds of people already in uniform. What do you do with them? Well, that's a good question. You know, I mean, they're certainly entitled to, uh, I would think, a fair amount of severance pay. And, you know, um, that's another thing that we don't have the facts on. We hear from the Surrey Police Service Union that most of their members will not uh, transition over. Right. Yet uh, Mayor Locke is saying, oh, yes, they will. So where 
where do the real facts lie? We don't know. And again, that's why we need to just put a pause on this and get the facts on the table. So the facts that you're talking about, Councillor, are, are, the, are the facts that should have been on the table at election time so people could take a look at the facts and make a fact-based decision on who to vote for. So in the absence of facts, they voted anyway. And here we are with a very narrow victory for the other side this time around. How's that going to change things? Well, you know, it's the same problem we had uh, when Doug McCallum got elected and started to move forward with the police transition. Uh, there wasn't facts on the table then. And, you know, I do know that uh, Mayor Locke and myself both ran on transparency and open government mm-hmm. and uh, not specifically just to the police transition, but in general. And this is one good example where I would say to her, let's get the public involved and let's put the facts on the table first. Uh, do you know anything about costs of referendum and how rapidly it could happen? Again, this is, you know, there's, there's time is passing us by here, Councillor, and, and, and yet there's, there's a need, as you think, and many others, for public input. So if there's going to be that part of the process, it's expensive and time-consuming. How quickly could it be done? A referendum is a whole lot cheaper than doing the transition either way or undoing the transition. Uh, fair ball. Yeah, we have no idea. You know, I've heard numbers floated all around about what the police transition is going to cost or what it will cost to untransition. And we're talking, you know, a couple of hundred million dollars in some cases, Mm -hmm. but we don't know the numbers. A referendum is a whole lot less expensive. Doesn't have to be a complicated process, but we just need to get on with it. And could, could it be done, for example, within 90 days? I sure think so, but we need the facts first. We don't want to just do a referendum and make the same mistake that we've been making all along, not letting the people know what the facts are. We need to get the facts first, put a pause on what we're doing, and let the people make a decision. If Surrey wants to have a referendum, do you need the permission of the of Victoria, or is this a, a, a municipality doing its own thing on its own style? Well, I believe that we would need uh, some support from the provincial government since, in the end of the day, the provincial government is responsible for policing throughout the province. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm certainly no legal expert, but um, I would believe that that would be, be the case. But... Okay. Well, Linda, obviously this is, uh, this is a situation that is very much at play and is not going to change, unfortunately, anytime soon. Uh, one can only hope that some measure of getting it resolved is, is begun because it's just a quagmire right now. Thanks for this. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Always a pleasure talking with you, Sterling. some of the titles of books written by our next guest. Sports Psychology for Cyclists, The Complete Player, The Psychology of Winning Hockey, Why Teams Win, Nine Keys to Success in Business, Sport, and Beyond. The new book, number nine, is Winning Golf, The Mental Game, Creating the Focus, Feeling, and Confidence to Play Consistently Well. Always a pleasure to say good morning and welcome to the program to North Vancouver's Dr. Saul Miller. Good morning, Dr. Miller. Welcome back, sir. It's been forever. 
Good morning, Sterling. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Well, good to have you with us. Now, let's just uh, let's extrapolate a little bit, and let's just focus for a few moments on these young Canadian guys on the, well, they're in Qatar now, uh, and, and the team is getting ready to play Belgium in a couple of days as we uh, play our first round in World Cup in some 36 years. Uh, this is brand new stuff for each and every member of that group. Suppose Dr. Saul Miller is called in, as you have been so many times for so many teams, to give them a bit of a pep talk and prep them up, psych them up for this global challenge. What would you say? Well, I think the keys, the keys, Sterling, are to have the right focus, the right feeling, and the right attitude. These guys are ready. They're skilled. They know how to play the game. They're in great shape. The problem sometimes is that under pressure, people tighten up a little bit. They tense up. They're trying to be at their best. And... What you have to do is learn what I would be working with them in advance of this is just teaching them a couple of simple techniques so they can regulate their emotional intensity and allow them to express their their greatness. You know, it's interesting because the good teams, when they talk about what's going on on the ice or on the field or on the pitch, whatever, they always include the word fun. Yeah, we work hard, we practice hard, but man, we have a lot of fun out there too. That's important, isn't it? That's what helps you not try too hard, right? Well, I think think fun is very important. I, I like to say it this way. I say the two key human emotions are love and fear. And when we're Having, when we're coming from a place of fear, I really want to do well, I don't want to make a mistake, we create tension, and it kind of limits us from being at our best. And I don't think there's a sport where we see that more than on the golf course. <laughs> my, my, one of my most feared positions in any sporting situation for me, Saul, is tee number one on anybody's golf course anywhere because that's where everybody gets to watch you duff your first shot 10 yards out onto the green or onto the fairway. Uh, it, it, I hate it. Uh, it. The fear emotion is dominant when I try to play golf. Don't get me wrong. I love to play. I'm just terrible at it. Well, I think if you focus more on the I love to play, what you were saying before, and there are techniques to do it. You know, and the interesting thing in this new book, in in Winning Golf, is that I wrote a book that, of course, if you're a golfer and you read the book, I really, truly believe it's going to improve your game. However, if you read the book, the very same techniques are going to improve the quality of life. Right. You know, and one of the great golfers, uh, I think it was Bruce Crampton, said, golf is a compromise between what your ego wants you to do, what experience tells you to do, and what your nerves allow you to do. And that applies to everything. Indeed. One of the books you've written is Performing Under Pressure, Gaining right. the Mental Edge in Business and Sport. Again, this is, this is all about you. You, talk, you. you use the platform of sport, Dr. Miller, but it opens all sorts of doors. And you include business in a lot of your book titles because the doors are so similar. But again, that pressure, dealing with pressure, is, is, uh, it, it's the deal breaker, isn't it? Absolutely. And one of the simplest techniques of all is what I call conscious breathing it's just learning how to use work with your breath to experience your breath in a way that helps you to have more calm more strength and keeps you in the present because when we worry it's usually about the future oh i hope this shot is good i hope this goes well Uh and when we're frustrated it's the past 
And really, we're playing the game, the game of life, right now. How do I get back to now, this breath? And we've got to do the work. I mean, we have to do the breathing on a regular basis so that under pressure, we have a technique that really helps us to be calm and strong. Well, you know, it's kind of yogic of you to say this, Dr. Miller, because that's what they're all about, too, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, what I'm talking about with conscious breathing really is a meditation. And, of course, on a very limited basis, because you're on the tee and there's another foursome waiting to go. (laughs) Well, what what I'm really saying is, if every day you take seven, eight, nine minutes, you do this breathing exercise ah, okay. away from the golf course. All right. Then when you step on the course, you just take a breath and it helps you to have that strength to stay calm and strong. Hmm, interesting. So uh, again, looking at uh, pressure situations, let's take a look, for example, Dr. Miller, at tomorrow's slightly frozen, but nonetheless bound to be terribly exciting Great Cup game in Regina with the Bombers and the uh, uh, the Toronto Argonauts. Now there are two teams. Winnipeg has a decided advantage. They're just a better team, period. And so Toronto's got to go represent the East and try to win. How do you psych those guys up? Well, I think they're psyched. I think what you what they they may say if it's really clearly perceived that you know the bombers are the better team. They say, "Hey guys, we got nothing to lose. Right. Let's go for it." You know, one of the things I mention in this golf book is the the idea of stimulating imagery, and I say I say to my clients, pick an animal that would give you the feelings you'd want to have if you were playing great, and most of them, I'd say, ninety eight percent of elite athletes are picking predators. Mm. And I'll ask them, what's the difference between the football player, the golfer, the whatever, who's a predator and the one who's the prey? The predator steps out to make something happen. The prey doesn't want to make a mistake. And that idea of being a predator, I was years ago was asked to um, visit with a team in a playoff situation in ice hockey. Just It was a single knockout in the playoffs, and they were playing a team that was perceived to be much better than they were. We got everybody to think of themselves like a pack of wolves hunting in the offensive zone like a pack of wolves, hunting in the defensive zone. And they ended up winning the game. They just created a different identity, a performance hunting identity mindset, and they won the match. Interesting stuff. Always a pleasure, Dr. Miller. We wish you considerable success with winning golf, the mental game. I plan on having a copy real soon. I can use every little bit of help I can get. Not only will it improve your golf, Sterling, it'll improve the quality of life. Well, I'm ready for that, too. SaulMiller.com. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen to us live 6 to 9 weekend mornings. I'm Sterling Fox. Have a great week. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.